So, theme podcast, we are talking with Laura. Can I use your real name? Yeah. Okay. And Laura is going to be joining theme podcast from time to time to talk about very interesting things and what's good in our world because she's a little flower picking person <laughs> and loves all things good and sees the good in all things I and like all people. That and I often ask her what happened to you, what's wrong with you to make you this way because she just believes in good things. But today's theme is going to be a little bit about her and we were talking about um travel and living abroad and when you just decide to go do a totally different detour in life and she kind of did that with her family so i wanted to talk about it cuz i'm very much interested in travel and she is someone who actually took that big step and took you know went 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 away for a little bit went abroad um I guess, do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are? Well, I have three children, and that my identity has been wrapped up in them for quite some time, of course. My youngest just graduated from high school, so I'm in a different phase of life, but um, I became a mom quite young. I was 19, uh, so they were very much my world. And then combined with, I always wanted to travel. I was always interested in other cultures and places and uh, wanted to travel with my kids. Mm. And so when the opportunity really came uh, came up, that's, that's what I did. I jumped on it. So I wasn't sure exactly what that would look like. Um, and a friend told me about woofing, woof, W-W-O-O-F, which is Worldwide Opportunities in Organic Farming. And... Uh, so I looked more into that and knew that that was probably my ticket to be able to travel for a lengthy amount of time. Uh, so that's what I did. And so I think it's just those two things. Yeah. How much I loved being a mom and how into my kids that I was giving them different experiences, giving them alternative experiences, uh, different, different forms of education. Um, I had already homeschooled um, here and there with each each of them, so that wasn't a problem, you know, taking off, pulling them from, from school, and their schools were really supportive. Um, so yeah, I think just the mixture of being a wanderer and wanting to travel uh, and not really, uh, not really being able to fulfill that, and then when the time came, it was... It's great. Did you travel a lot when you were a kid? Like, where did you get the travel bug from? Um, I thought about this a lot. I did have exposure to to people from other countries in in my life, um, and I was always fascinated by people with accents or people speaking different languages. Hmm. Um, I did. The only travel that we really did was probably just up and down the eastern seaboard, really, and, um, and that was great. I was always ready to pack up and go. We moved around a lot. I moved every two years, oh. so um, you know, packing up and setting off for something new I was very comfortable with. Um, it was something I looked forward to for the most part. 
so, um, but yeah, no, well, I guess my first international travel was, I was 16, um, and I got to go visit my, um, uh, friend from high school that had moved to Switzerland, nice. so I, I, I got to do that on my own. Nice. Yeah. So that was, I guess, that was my first international. Man, I'm pissed off. My mom wouldn't even let me like go to the mall by myself half the time. You had to go to Switzerland. It's yeah, a bunch it, was, of bullshit. it was pretty cool. Sixteen, like nice. riding the trains down to Rome and going. Yeah, that was my first taste. And uh, yeah, it's just I don't know. It's always been a part of who I am. Yeah. How old were your kids when you decided to do that trip? Um. They were eight, um, eight, twelve, and fifteen, and then respectively, and then they all had birthdays, of course, because we were gone for a year. Nice. Yeah. When you told them that you were wanting to do this, what was their reaction to it? Um. Well, it wasn't a it wasn't a total surprise because I had talked about different things. I was always discussing ideas or throwing things out there. They they knew that I wanted to travel with them. Mm. So when it was set in stone and I knew that's what I wanted to do, um, and it's probably the only thing in their lives where we sat them down and said, this is what we're going to do. And uh, they had, from that point... As opposed to... Um, asking them. I didn't really say, oh, what do you think like about this? Like it wasn't this? a choice. Someone's or, like, hey, guess what we're doing? Yeah. And, and, um, and I, yeah, I had never done that really, um, with anything. I just, I felt so strongly for it, uh, about it. And I knew that, I knew that I really wanted to give that to them. And, um, I mean, obviously we, we, uh, approached it with consideration and, and had yeah. a discussion about it and all of that. And if anybody had had any, serious objections I would have would have talked about it but they they just didn't and they had nine months to prepare so they knew they were going to be missing a whole year of school the following school year mm. nice yeah. um, when you started looking at places to to go like destination wise mm -hmm. where did you look and then were there like safety concerns with some like how did you eventually get to where yeah to where you picked well I wanted to have the most diverse experience that I could and I wanted to be I wanted it to be where we could easily get um, from one country to the next mm. um, and really have a different experience so um, we looked at all the continents um, and we looked at the woofing opportunities on all of those continents. And Europe just happened to have, they had a ton of opportunities on farms, um, different places. And I knew that train travel was easy. Uh, flights, which we, which we actually only took one flight. We made, we committed to, to slow travel. Um, but it was easy and relatively inexpensive to get from one place to the next and each place was so different from the next that we could have a lot more experiences in one year.
I just want to ask, why did you feel, you know, taking the kids abroad, to eat, taking the whole family abroad, why was that important to you? Why did you feel like that was a good thing, important thing to do for them? I've never been like a status quo kind of person. Um, I definitely wasn't a soccer mom. Um, you didn't have a little minivan? I had a Eurovan, which I thought, you know. Is that the Volkswagen one? Yeah. Those are cool. Yeah, oh, yeah, right, that, yeah. right. Um, and so we had already done a bunch of different alternative things. Uh, I was really into alternative education with them. We did some homeschooling. Uh, Different, different types of, of schools uh, was just always looking for something a bit more progressive or, um, and, and actually kind of a mixture of progressive and, and what I would consider old school. You know, I think that uh, you and I both are probably the last generation where we had a different kind of freedom in our childhood. At least that's what I've, what I've experienced. And, you know, I, growing up on the East Coast, I still had that time alone uh, in, in the woods. I mean, mm. there was always woods accessible. And, uh, and, and I spent a lot of time alone. And being close to the nature and being in the outdoors was something that was really important to me. Um, I think that if somebody had actually gave me of like if, if growing up and becoming a farmer was a viable option some if someone had presented that to me I would have like that's what I would have chosen that's what I would have done nice so um, so with my kids it was this blend of wanting to travel myself knowing the, the benefits to that wanting to give that to them wanting to be in an environment that uh, would allow them to have the freedom that I had experienced in nature growing up um, and and the, the practical side of it. I wanted to experience farming and uh, doing things, working with animals and, and learning everything that comes with being a farmer. Right now there's a man who's about 80 years old riding a bike by us and he's listening to Tevin Campbell's Can We Talk and I've seen literally fucking everything. Because <laughs> when I heard the music, I'm like, oh, somebody's bumping 90s R&B, Tevin Campbell. But that man has got to be 75, 80 on a bike bumping, and he's bumping it too. Uh-huh. He's like, yep, I'm going to totally crash your pop. Now that uh, Tevin... Tevin's grandpa then rolled off or uh, tell me a little bit about let, let's move over to uh, when you guys get there like you get to the farm um, tell me like what happens I know I think you said you were in France so you're on this farm in France like what happens what what are you guys doing on this farm well at that particular farm which yeah. was probably the most um, 
hardcore one. Yeah, it required the most endurance and uh, the most commitment, I guess. But my uh, my oldest daughter was in charge of cheese production. So I would milk the cow in the morning. We all had our chores an hour before breakfast. And they stayed the same the whole time we were there. And we all had our evening chores that all stayed the same. So in the morning, I would milk the cows. And I would bring my oldest daughter um, the, the milk. And she would then um, be able to, whatever she was doing that particular day, um, she'd be able to take the cream off the top and make butter. Um, and then she also made cheese. And she was taught this, like just, you know, like a couple of hours instruction. And then she was in charge of that. So she made um, these little round cheeses that we would eat at every meal. It was a big part of our meal. Um, and that's what she did before breakfast. And then my son and husband, they uh, were in charge of all the mucking in the morning. So they had to get rid of all of the the dirty hay in the barn, um, in the stalls, in the stables, all of that, and also feed the horses, and um, uh, and then and then my poor son had this stint with digging up Jerusalem artichokes every morning for about a month, which was not fun. None of my kids will eat Jerusalem artichokes anymore, um, at all. We had every version of Jerusalem artichoke meal you can possibly have. I'm not a big artichoke fan either, so I, that just sounds... It doesn't sound... It, when the way you describe the terrain sounds yeah. not fun. Like, I'm just imagining trying to dig through frozen... Yep, exactly. ...tundra dirt does not sound like fun. And then eating art... To do it for the reward being artichoke is like, that's mm -hmm. not really a reward. Yeah, we did it. We had artichoke soup and roasted artichokes <laughs> and fried artichokes and... Artichoke uh, snacks and dips and everything. Everything you could do yeah. to a Jerusalem artichoke, yeah. We, we did, but... um yeah, so, and then my youngest daughter, she was nine by that time, and uh, she was not having it. She did not want to get up. Well, her chore? Well, it used to be, so I, I also had the chickens, so I had to collect the eggs in the morning and then put them out um, and then get them in the evening and make sure they were back inside safe. Um, so, you know, it started off, she would help me collect eggs. Um, and she kind of just bopped around from person to person, whoever needed help. Mm. But she got to the point where she just said, no, it's way too cold. I, like, she just did not want to go outside um, that early in the morning when it was that cold. So she eventually talked me into being the one to prep for breakfast because we would take turns and somebody would go in about 15 minutes before it was time to, for everybody to come in, in and eat breakfast and set up. And it was the same thing every time. Um, somebody had put on some oats, some porridge um, before the morning started. So by the time we finished our chores, it would be ready to go. But so, she, you know, she's this little thing and uh, well, that's not like a hard job to set up the table and for breakfast, right? Like 
She did that at home. Um, yeah, I guess there, there was a, there was quite a few of us because there were. Oh, it wasn't was just us, you guys. There were visiting veterinarians. There were the owners of the farm. There was um, another woofer, someone who had come to help out and do. And you guys all ate together. Mm-hmm. We all oh, ate together. Oh, okay. So she's doing this for. Yeah. Like a. A yeah. lodge. <laughs> she's doing yes. this for her. Yeah, did not like yeah. this. I'm like. Setting the table for your parents and brothers and sisters, not <laughs> no, like no. a big deal. It was a production, Got you, you know, okay. and she had to get everything set out um, with uh, all the coffees, all the teas, the the cream, the butter, the cheeses, the homemade jams, the, you know, she'd have to set out, of course, all of the... Um, she was sitting on a buffet every morning. Yes. Got it. And the kids were amazing. Um, none of them complained. They did everything that was asked of them, and they did it willingly, um, and they, they were just amazing. Tell me about, you, you mentioned a story once about working with a horse or something like that, like, and you got charged by a horse. That was like the uh-huh. most insane story I've ever heard I think or like what you were how did just how that all happened yeah um this was we were on a a self-sustaining farm in France I'm gonna ask one question what does self-sustaining mean so they everything that they ate and everything that their animals ate including all of their um energy production was all within that farm so Energy they, production. They grew, yeah. So it, whether it was uh, wind. Oh. Oh. Okay. Right. Um, and uh, they grew the fodder for the animals. So whatever the animals were eating, it was being grown there on the farm. Wow. And then whatever we ate was grown. Grown on the farm. Right. So, so these people literally didn't really have to go off that farm if they chose not to. No. Mm-mm. Damn. This is where. This was in France. Okay. Um, so it was the Drome region. So it's it's beautiful, but it's it's like a stark beauty. Um, and they had a herd of champion endurance horses, endurance race horses, mm. um, going way back, like several generations. Is that the type of farm it was, a horse farm? Or? No, not really. The, the couple that owned the farm, um, the... Woman was a academic. Actually, um, she had her PhD, um, something involving the sustainability, and she was in her seventies. And she um, would she was a guest lecturer at, at Cambridge and Oxford and all of these places. She grew up in in South Africa, but she was British, and so she. Uh, made this her life and made her life her research and all of her academic papers all everything she published had to do with what she was actually living living out Mm. and proving proving that um, it's a term peasant farming that you could be self-sustainable regardless of where you're at regardless of the land that you're on and this was the third time in her her adult life that she had just picked up and moved to a different region that was known to not be very um, uh, 
friendly to farming and she made it made it happen what was she growing like food wise food wise was everything that we would typically grow in a in a garden here oh. yeah then why were people thinking that it was a region that you couldn't do that well the food for us was really cultivated you know the soil was was worked um, she had a nursery and all of that I think it's just more the crops you know there wasn't a lot of crops in the region it's, it's a lot of rocks and that kind of thing oh yeah. so you have to actually like make want to be that you it's not natural it's not like farmland you have to go in yeah. make this land workable yeah so this horse that you're talking about um he was majority of uh, of him was a draft horse so he was huge and he did a lot of plowing they used him to actually work and plow up the land and he was also the sire for most of the the horses that they were breeding and so he was a stallion um, and he was just an incredible presence and he was by himself in a pasture that's his name Oryx. Oryx. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes his young son would be put in the pasture with him. But for the most part, he was by himself um, because, you know, the rest of the herd was female horses. So Do sometimes... They, they keep them separate? I don't, I don't know yeah, much about horses. Yeah, because he's a stallion, so he's able to impregnate the females. So they didn't... They, oh. Yeah, they wanted to time that when they wanted to you know when they wanted to do it for the herd and sometimes uh, the a few dairy cows that they had would be put into the same pasture as him um, and so it was my job I was in charge of the cows and we, we were on this farm for like I don't know maybe four months so um, I had to milk the cows in the morning and then I had to put them out to pasture, and then I had to get them in the evening every day. And how many cows is this? Um, it was just three. So it, it um, when I got there, all three cows were really nice. One of them was pregnant at the time. And so we got to be there when she gave birth. And after she gave birth, she was a first-time mom. And she just became incredibly difficult and cranky. <laughs> and honestly, it was the only time that I cried the whole year was with her. <laughs> she, I, I, yeah, that's, that's like another, that's like a side story. But I literally what? sat down in a field just in total defeat what did she one do? evening. She just wouldn't move. She just wouldn't come back with me to the barn. And she just wanted to stay out in pasture. Yeah. And, uh, nice. and I just sat down in frustration and just cried. Yeah. That was, that's the one time that I just kind of gave up, threw my hands up and said, okay. Um, anyway, so yeah. it was those cows that were in this field with this stallion, Oryx. And uh, I had to go get them out of the field. So I went over, and I was by myself, and um, I hadn't had a ton of exposure to Oryx at that, at that point. Um, later down the road, I ended up having to ride him down half of a mountain. Um, and, and how 
like a, he's what kind of horse? He's part draft horse and like those Budweiser things. Is that a draft horse? Yes, yeah, they are in their Clydesdales are in that Jesus. same so category. He's a giant. He's huge. He's like twelve feet tall or enormous, something. Enormous, yeah. like truly enormous. Yeah. The largest horse I have ever personally been around. Jeez. And so, uh, I I I go into this pasture. I don't see the cows anywhere. There's trees and there's kind of dips and valleys and things. So you know, I know they're in there. I just have to find them. Oh. And, uh, you didn't mention that part. Yeah, so I couldn't, I couldn't see so this them. This is not like on TV where you just see the farmer walk outside and the cows are on this beautiful little farm and you just, come on in, Nellie, and they just, no, you literally are like <laughs> hunting in a forest to find where these things went to forage to Every, eat. Everybody, everybody Shit. hypothetically names the cows it's always Nellie, Nellie, but every, I've yeah. never met a cow named Nellie, but... Um, it's either Nellie or is it Bessie? Bessie. Or Bessie? Yeah. And and the horses are always Nellie too. Like it's always. The old, yeah. old mares. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So I go in. I don't see them. And I see Oryx though up on the, a hill, a nearby hill. And I start calling the cows because sometimes they'll come because they're hungry. You know, or they want, they want their special hay. They're ready to oh. go in. Um, and they just. I just didn't see them, so they so they're out coming. there just eating grass at this. Who point. knows where they were exactly? That's yeah. what they're normally out there to do, though. Yeah. So Oryx lifts his head. He he notices me. Had you had any interactions with him at this point? No. 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 Um, He'd seen you. Yeah. You seen, but, you'd seen each other. Yeah, I okay. guess, but nothing. You know, not, no, no big interaction at all. No. And he uh, suddenly just turns. And just you're looking at him. I am. I'm or I'm trying. I'm trying not to, I guess. Um, and you know, he's he's just uh, an in, really intimidating presence, even from that distance. And he turns and he just takes off full gallop, uh, just as fast as he possibly could, straight for me. And <laughs> I quickly, you know, you have that moment of. You know, you weigh your options in like milliseconds. It's crazy. Was there a tree nearby to climb? Because I would have been thinking I'm climbing a tree. No, no. And uh, I, I knew that I just had to stand my ground. I just, you know, just instinctually, you just kind of know you have to stand your ground. Yeah. And I guess I mean he's a horse, so he's not coming to eat you. No, but he could. Big as shit, and coming to destroy you if he wanted to. He could one hundred percent. Yeah, he could run through you completely. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I knew, I already knew one of the visiting veterinarians that were there because the the owner of the farm she would host um, PhD students, and they would come and do research there. And so. he had reared at one point and kicked her in the chest and so there was this whole thing that had happened and I knew that story so um you know he's running at a full gallop and I just and she lived yeah yeah but it was it was rough it was really really rough thing and she's an expert on horses like that's what she was specializing in as a veterinarian um so I kind of, I just stood there and braced myself and kind of just kept my gaze a little bit down. Like I didn't mm. look him in the eye or right. anything. So Not did. that I remember. I don't, yeah. yeah. And then he came to a screeching halt. Like his front legs were completely straight and, and stiff. Like he just 
skid it to a halt. How far was he from you? Oh, he was right in front of my face. <laughs> oh, he was dude. right in front of my face, and he oh, breathed. So you can feel really his heavy. breath, and you just feel that physicality mm-hmm. of he just all that. Yep. Because even though he didn't hit you, you still get hit with that type of physicality. So he's oh, yeah. charging at you. Oh yeah, and he he smelled Jeez. me, breathed on me, huffed on me, smelled me, exactly. and um, then. Um, yeah, no, I don't know. Wow. And then he did the most amazing thing. He turned and he trotted off and he was, um, he, I guess, knew exactly where the cows were and trotted off kind of behind a, a clearing and came back with the cows. He <laughs> herded the cows and brought them to me. Uma included. Uh-huh. Uma's mad, yeah. badass. Badass yeah. Uma. Yeah. Um, and actually, this was before she, she gave birth, because um, that's why I hadn't had any exposure to Oryx yet. Yeah. So he brought those cows to me, and I, you know, put the put the leads on the cows and took them in. And what was he doing this time? He just was, like, as cool as a cucumber at that point. He was still with you when you put him uh, in there? What did you call it? Leads? Yeah, I mean, he stayed in the pasture. but, And then, of course, you know, I get back and I'm trying to tell everybody this amazing thing that had just happened to me. Yeah, like, I just, just got charged by a dragon pretty much. Yeah, I just, it didn't have the same impact on it, on everybody else. But, yeah, it was, it was, it was amazing. And to me, especially, that he went and got the cows right yeah so he pretty much is like the smartest thing on this farm and he's not letting people maybe they're not paying attention but obviously he's paying attention to everything yeah he's at the top of this hill he's watching you and he's obviously figured out what you were trying to do or maybe it's seen you do it before yeah and then goes i'm gonna fuck with this human i don't like how she looked <laughs> he's just like i'm gonna fuck with you like he just yeah. and then when you don't run he's like oh all right yeah, I you passed feel, the test. I did. I kind of felt <laughs> like I passed like, right. the test. Because if you would have ran like, or screamed, you probably was like, oh, it's all I wouldn't have now. made it. Yeah. I don't think I would have made it. I don't know what he would have done. Honestly. Horses let us do what we like. We can think they've tamed but I'm like no they just kind of let us do all that stuff if they truly wanted to yeah like what do you like that guy's a super powerful creature so that guy he totally was like yeah I'm gonna scare this lady to death and I think that's true with most farm animals actually you know they kind (laughs) of just they play the role and get their benefits and 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 you know you do have to be careful and that that was a big thing for the kids for me, yeah. I wanted them to have those experiences to, to test their own boundaries, to understand that kind of thing. Cool. Well, I have a question. If I wanted to do something like the wolfing, which you guys have done going overseas, like what are some of the things, or not me personally, since I don't have children, but like, what would you suggest people do to prepare for something like that? Is there an age range kids should be, you think? Is there nutritional things that people need like what would be how do you prepare for that I think you need to have a desire to live self-sufficiently I think you have to have that desire because there were times where we were uh, our accommodations didn't have electricity Mm. Um, there were lots of times where we didn't 
have access to indoor plumbing, so we used composting toilets, and it didn't matter if it was snowing or not. Um, and when you say to have access, is that because they just wanted you guys to rough it, or that's how these people live? Like, they don't have indoor plumbing, and they don't have toilets that regularly... Yeah, I mean, if, if we were using composting toilets, the hosts were, for the most part, using them too. Wow, okay. Um, as opposed to, even if there was indoor plumbing in some of the buildings, we were encouraged to, to do that. Um, or, you know, there's times when you don't have hot water, and you have to just take a shower and un, under a hose pretty much um, so you need to want to rough it to a degree I'm sure there's places or opportunities where it's not so rough but that was part of my desire like I wanted to to really give that to my kids and have them experience that and I wanted to experience that and I had only had little bits of that growing up in my life so why, it was, why did you want that I, I've just always been... for your kids. Yeah, I, I've just... I've always been uh, drawn to that life. You know, a little cabin in the woods, no, no electricity. Being a farmer is an occupation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was, it was. It was everything that I wanted it to be. It was absolutely phenomenal for my kids. You know, this is... Ten years later, they all speak very fondly of, of that time. It, it changed their lives. It, it very much added to who they are as people. Um, so I've, I've no regrets about it. Nice. What, um, what do you feel like you, I know it's cliche to ask, but what did you take away from this? Like when you left and when you came back, what, what do you feel like you learned or gained or, or are you still learning and gaining from it? Well, I think the first thing was the sacrifice that it took to be able to do it. People think, or maybe there's some assumptions that you have money, you're financially well off, you know, you can just take off for a year. Um, we sold everything. We sold our house, we sold our cars. To do this? Yeah, to wow. be able to do this. Um, pretty much sold everything I own, except for, you know, my, my artwork, photos, um, So you kept the, van, kept the van go. Yeah. But yeah, everything yeah. else had to go. Yeah, and you know, for the nine months leading yeah. up to going, everything was a decision. Because I had, I was so heavily involved in planning at that point. I knew, like, okay, well, if I sell this, that's one ticket, uh, one passage on a on a ferry, you know, from here to there. Yeah. Um, and so, so I think the first lesson was the commitment to the sacrifice and understanding that you can do it. Um, I, there were so many people. People still say this to me of, well, wow, you know, I wish I could, I wish I could do that, you know, kind of, kind of thing. And um, it's, you can. It just comes with a commitment. It comes with sacrifice. It comes with, I think, a lot of courage. Um, and so that part was good to experience. The sacrifice to do what you, what's following your heart. When, when you actually do that. Um, it changes you for sure and so a lot of that happened before I even left understanding those things about yeah. myself um, that you were willing to give up 
the yeah. things that you everyone is told that we want and need mm -hmm. but you yeah and then the second big thing I think is when you have like uh, when you have a desire to do something that that is a different way of life a completely different lifestyle and you kind of feel it but you've never experienced it um, and you give yourself the opportunity to do that and I, I guess there's a chance that you could say, oh, you know, no, I'm, I'm not cut out for this. Like, no, I tried it. It's, you know, not, nope, that's not for me. But that didn't happen for me. I, I really, truly felt more um, happy, more at peace, mm. living that more self-sustaining lifestyle. I was so close to the land. My children were so close to the land. Um, and you began to live in, in, in the cycle of the seasons and the cycle uh, the day and night yeah. cycle you know especially when you don't have electricity or you're not supposed to be using a lot of it you know you're, you're going to and you're exhausted so you're, you're going to bed <laughs> yeah. All these, yeah. yeah the sun goes down you're going to bed yeah. you know and yeah if you wanted to be warm that night you better make sure you get the firewood and when the firewood runs out you better make sure you know how to harvest more um and uh, you know to, to, to be warm so when you're when you're living like that uh, and, and I think a lot of people have that desire these days there's all these shows of you know living off the land and right. mountain men or we like that. watching it anyways I don't know if I I'm like <laughs> watching it yeah and then you do it and um, so for me like I, I felt so at home I was so in my element I've never felt more more strong or more purpose-driven um, or uh, I, that's when I feel the most good about myself you know it was like it was like the the more the the more uh, the more dirt I had on me the more beautiful I felt you know nice. like from the inside yeah. um, so and and it was hard assimilating back it was really difficult to assimilate back um, and to make sure that you had you still had exposure and you still had um, things in your life that that you could still tap into those things I, I think I would have kept going you know I would have or I would have returned and created that life for myself and you know there were other things going on and, and my kids and all of that where I didn't but um, so that was a really cool thing and then as a parent um, the lesson of letting go you know we're, we're tend to be really overprotective yeah. these days and so you know if, if and it was cool because it was the three of them yeah. and so they were often taking off together doing things together but um, to really just let go let them go into the mountain yeah. by, by themselves um, go dig artichokes and go make breakfast for 20 and 40 people mm -hmm. and go go off and do go pick a whatever yeah go whatever do stuff. whatever it was um, yeah. and they were incredibly independent yeah. during that time and and that stuck with them um, so I think just the lessons as a parent um, uh, and then of course the the skill sets I think are invaluable my my brain kind of changed um, I was I was never good at figuring out problems that were more abstract or where I had to um, fix something that was broken kind of kind of thing you know I, I was um, I, I just never had I was never faced with those kinds of, of problems and so 
little by little you're having to 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 repair things you're having to fix things or you're having to learn how to use a side or you're having to you know all of these things that are have a physicality to them that is also connected to your thinking yeah. and figuring it out and that has 100% stayed with me it, it just altered the way that I problem solve um, so those those Grab are probably your, the your mind side then gets get stuff done yeah so those are probably the four like biggest yeah biggest thing but yeah. no i hope this really inspires people who are wanting to you know travel it inspired me when you told me that story about the horse Mm -hmm. that thing when I first heard that it just was like I don't know I always believed it like there's certain creatures and animals and people that have connections and the earth connects them in a certain way and when you told me that story I just was like she's one of those special humans where that horse knew it because sometimes horses don't care and I feel like they don't care when you don't care. <laughs> like yeah. when they go, oh, you're not one of those people. Screw her. <laughs> but that horse, I, that, ever since I heard that story, it's always made me go, I want to go do an adventure like that. And I want to go live off the land and see if I can do it. Yeah. Especially growing up in Southern California where it's 72 degrees almost, you know, 250 days a year. So it'd be nice to kind of, I hope this makes other people listening to this realize they can go do it and test themselves and see what they find yeah I, I highly recommend it you don't need a lot of money to do it um, that's probably the biggest misconception yeah and you know you can you can there's varying degrees of roughing it and you can choose that or build up to it or you know whatever um, can go work on a rice farm in Bali <laughs> I'm sure you could I'm sure you could roughing it oh it's terrible <laughs> Yeah. Five minutes from the beach, and all I do is pick rice and then go surf. It's terrible. <laughs> I I would recommend <laughs> physically preparing. Mm. You know, try try to be in the best shape that you can be in before you before you go. It's hard work. Yeah. And you will hurt. Yeah, I bet you're using muscles that you don't normally use. Yeah. Yeah. Like no matter what you do in a gym. I can't think of a gym exercise that's equivalent to herding cows, milking a cow the way I've seen it done. Yeah, or having a horse, having to get on a horse and ride down a mountain. Like there's nothing that prepares you yeah. for that outside of doing it. Yeah, it was <laughs> looking, you know, through the windows of, of gyms when I got back was, it was a really weird <laughs> feeling. It was just like, people were exerting all of this energy for absolutely like what like I couldn't figure it out you know it was I was a bit to be good at lifting weights I guess <laughs> you know I just it, it was really strange for me it was the assimilating back is probably like a whole nother conversation that yeah you know and and maybe other people wouldn't experience it the way I did I I was not happy to be back so yeah maybe you need to go back so maybe so yeah or buy a farm buy a farm yeah i'm working on it okay all right i'm gonna let you go um 
Oh, because yeah. I wanted to introduce you as well because I want you to um, be a part of the show, part of the theme, and you know, tell us good things that happen in the world. So I want you to tell us, leave us with something like what's good right now because we're hearing so much stuff that's bad all the time. If you look on any news feed or any social media feed, it's always what's bad, like what's good in the world or something you've read or see it shifting uh, families. I know for me, like it, it's brought a lot of conversations and reflection that have been really healing and really important. And I, I keep hearing that. Um, and I'm glad people are embracing that. You know, I'm glad that we haven't reached a point where everybody's just sick of, of their significant other or their, uh, or their kids or, you know, their friends and they're ready to just throw in the towel. I don't see that yeah. personally. I don't see that. I see people um, getting closer. Theme podcast. Say bye, Uma. <laughs>